0: Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Chapter one, identify the new you. I think one of the hardest things about going through a world-rocking, life-changing experience is that you come out the other side as someone totally different only your mind is still processing what's happened as who you were, not as who you are now. It's like one of those sci-fi movies where the spaceship moves into hyperdrive or warp speed or whatever they call it, and then the galaxies all blur into streaks and suddenly the enterprise is in another dimension. You have become something else. You've moved on to an entirely new dimension But your sense of self, the you that makes up your thoughts and feelings, is still the you who you always were. Life is so rude sometimes. As if it weren't enough that you've got to deal with the emotional upheaval of what you're experiencing, now you also have to contend with a big old identity crisis— Only most of us won't see the crux of the problem as a question of identity, which makes it harder still. In my opinion, there are four different kinds of identity crisis as it pertains to loss, pain, or grief. One, you had an identity and it was taken away from you. I was a great worker, but my company laid me off. Now I'm just unemployed. Two, you want an identity that is denied to you. I wanted to be a mom so badly, but the IVF treatment didn't work, and now I'm devastated. Three, you chose an identity and no longer want it. I thought that I was happy as a stay at home mom, but actually, I'm depressed and not a good mama to my kids. Four, Someone else chose an identity for you that isn't who you are. Being in this management role keeps me from being creative, but my boss thinks I'm needed here. I feel like I'm dying inside. For a more visual illustration, let me try using a subject I know almost nothing about. Basketball. Let's begin with the first one. The identity you had was taken away from you. Several years back, I was speaking at an event for the Navy SEAL Foundation, and I had the honor of meeting with a smaller community of Gold Star families. If you're not familiar, Gold Star families are those that have lost a loved one in military service. And that day, there were about 50 women who had lost their SEAL in service. I have worked with the military a lot over the years. It's a community that is incredibly close to my heart and a big focus of the philanthropy we do through our foundation. That's why I know I'll offend some of them when I say this, because all branches of military service are incredible and inspiring and so proud. But nobody, and I mean nobody, has a stronger sense of military pride and identity than the Navy SEALs. I think that's why this memory is so vivid, because while I've yet to meet a military spouse who wasn't proud of their service member, the SEAL wives are a breed unto themselves. As I sat in the room that day, I heard stories of loss from decades before and others from just a few months prior, but the narrative I heard again and again was, I was his wife and now he's gone. Who am I now? Who am I now? I've heard that line from mothers who've lost their only child and men who have lost their jobs. I've heard it from athletes who have a career-ending injury and college students who've been dumped. When I think of this identity crisis in terms of basketball, it's akin to having your series-winning shot blocked. Have you ever seen a game where an incredible player takes the game-winning shot that is for sure absolutely going in and at the last second, without warning, it's violently batted away by someone on the other team? The pain of that is all the more intensified by the fact that you just had it. It was just here. And now suddenly, it's been ripped away from you. I can't begin to tell you why this has happened to you, But when it comes to your identity on this particular point, I need you to hear me. You are still his wife. You are still her mama. You are still an incredible asset to a team. You are still an amazing athlete. You are still a great boyfriend. Just because the thing attached to that identity was removed doesn't mean that the role you earned was taken away. Nobody can remove your identity from you. You are a great and loving partner, even if your boyfriend broke up with you. Just because he's too big of a jackass to know how special you are doesn't make you any less wonderful. Don't you see? Identity literally means being who or what you are, and you get to choose that. That day with the Gold Star families, each and every woman's story vacillated from sadness to rage, depending on who was speaking. I do not know much about the people in that room beyond the time that I spent with them. But I can tell you one thing for sure. They were warriors, on par with the men they had lost. They were so strong, and even in their pain and their grief, they would keep going. The Navy SEALs have a creed, and one line in particular always reminds me of the women in the room that day. If knocked down, I will get back up. Every time. I'm telling it to you now so you can memorize it. If you've had something ripped away, if you've been knocked down, get back up. Every time. Wear the identity you earned. With pride. The second kind of identity crisis is the opposite of the first. You want an identity that is denied to you. If the first one is to have your shot blocked, then the basketball equivalent for this one would be calling your shot and having it bounce off the rim, no matter how hard you try. To take another approach, let's try this. When I was a little girl, I wanted to be a zoologist. Our local library was giving away old magazines, and since I'd never had a magazine to call my very own, I leapt at the chance to take a stack that ran the gamut from National Geographic to Mad Magazine. Somewhere in that stack, one such magazine had a story of a zoo. Which zoo? I don't remember. What was the article about? I can't recall. What I do know for sure is that the featured image of this article was a sick baby orangutan being held lovingly in the arms of a zookeeper who was nursing it back to health. A sick, slightly bald baby monkey with little wisps of hair and a diaper that would fit a four-month-old human. Just imagine. I looked into the sad eyes of that sweet baby monkey and made a decision then and there. I would be a zoologist, and I would hold baby monkeys, and I would nurse them back to health and teach them sign language and give zoo tours to fourth graders on their class field trip. By God, I had a plan. I tore out the page and taped it to my wall, where it would reside for years. My future was clear, and I knew who and what I was going to become. Only, here's the thing. I don't like to get dirty and I definitely don't like animal fur, and I for sure don't like animal poop or getting hot and dusty or smelling like creatures or ruining my manicure. I mean, my friends will tell you that there isn't a job I'm less suited for than zookeeper. I spent many years of my life thinking I would be that one thing. But of course, as a little girl, I didn't know myself well enough to make a lifelong decision about who I would become. There was no real harm done. After all, the identity I'd claimed for myself was my adorable childhood fantasy. But what if the identity you've claimed for yourself isn't just a childhood dream? What if it's a very real, grown-up vision, and the crisis or trauma you find yourself inside of is that no matter how much you want it, or how hard you've prayed, hoped, and worked, that identity doesn't come to fruition. How many women have hoped every month of the last year would be the month? That this time they'll find out they're pregnant, only to discover that they're unable to become a mother in the way they'd imagined. They had a clear vision of who they were. They only needed the evidence of the identity they'd known in their heart, And it can be a soul-shredding disappointment when it doesn't happen. If you find yourself in that kind of identity crisis, I don't for one second think you should give up on your dream. Fight for it. Find a way. You may just need to adjust how you're going to make that dream become a reality. Focus on the destination you want to head toward, but be open to the route you take to get there. I truly believe it's possible to achieve anything you want with hard work, but you don't get to control the variables that will make it so, or the time frame in which it appears. The third identity crisis is one that many people find themselves in, particularly as they begin to evolve. You chose an identity for yourself that you no longer want, or in basketball terms again, you're wearing a uniform that no longer fits. This can feel truly uncomfortable, both physically and spiritually. I am personally intimate with this particular crisis as I lived through it several years ago. I was a mother of two young sons, a wife and a small business owner, and I was deeply unhappy. The problem wasn't the life I had chosen. The problem was that I realized I was made for more than just the life I had chosen, but I also understood that the people around me wouldn't like for me to change. My uniform, the one I'd worked hard for and was proud to wear, no longer fit me, but I was too afraid to say anything. Instead, I lived with debilitating anxiety and played the role that made everyone else feel most comfortable even though I was miserable. I wrote a whole book about this topic. It's called Girl, Stop Apologizing, if you want to take a deeper dive in. But I want to tell you two things about it really quick. The first is that people don't often realize that they're having this crisis of self. In my experience, it usually shows up as anxiety brought on by a desire to people please. This person knows, even subconsciously, that this identity is no longer who they really are, but they also don't want to upset anyone by speaking their truth. Instead, they try to gain a sense of purpose through other people's approval rather than their own freedom of self. The other thing you need to know about the fear you have of exchanging your jersey can be summed up with another sports analogy. All great players are continually working to become better. Why would you be any different? Of course you're different from the woman he married. That was 14 years ago. Of course you're not the same little brother they're used to. Who on earth is the same person at 26 as they were at 16? The greatest sports stars on earth, the ones we love and admire, they didn't peak in the beginning. The greatest kept getting better. They kept leveling up. If someone tries to make you feel badly with the line, you've changed. Your only response should be, thank you. I'm working at it. Trust me, the grief and pain that come from staying put in order to keep those around you comfortable are not an indication of a life well lived for them or you. The last identity crisis is when someone else chooses an identity for you that you never agreed to take on. In sports terms, imagine that you became a basketball player because it was your father's dream. You never even had the chance to consider something else because you were swept up in his vision for you. And since he is such an important person in your life, it felt impossible to get out from under it. To explain this one fully, I have to first tell you a little bit about my own identity, at least as it pertains to, well, you. Or maybe not you exactly, but a specific group of people who know as much about me as they know about their own sister, but whom I don't know anything about at all. These people are strangers to me, but to them, I'm someone they know well. This identity was not something I chose for myself, nor is it one I've been familiar with for very long. To be specific, it's been around for almost exactly two years. Why do I know the exact timing of this anomaly? Because it began happening just about six months after my first nonfiction book came out. Because that particular book was what made most people aware of me, Their awareness had very little to do with my own personal identity but was instead shaped by the identity created for me by their having read that book. I had a small social media following at the time, so I'd gotten used to an occasional request for a selfie. But then, almost overnight, that rarity turned into strangers walking up to me in public and promptly bursting into tears as they told me about their childhood trauma or their cheating boyfriend or the grief they couldn't let go of. The first time it happened to me at a book signing, it was startling. When it began happening at airports, several times in every city, it made me nervous. When a woman at my local grocery store didn't even say hello, before she started crying and telling me about her sexual abuse as a teenager, all while my six-year-old son held my hand and nervously looked up at me to explain what was happening, when that happened, it fully sent me into months of the kind of anxiety attacks I hadn't had in years. This new level of notoriety was already something difficult to navigate. But because nearly every interaction came with so much emotion and trauma to carry, I had no idea how to manage it. I understood why women were telling me these stories. I had shared my own hard truths, and so I knew they wanted solidarity and, in many cases, had never told anyone what they'd gone through. I was and am deeply humbled that people trust me with their stories— But it's not something anyone is prepared to handle in a target aisle when buying school supplies, and I had no idea how to manage it. I never knew when someone might show up unexpectedly, and if they did, I didn't know if I should brace myself to hear something hard or console them when they cried. I held tightly to the belief that to whom much is given, much is expected." I kept thinking that this new aspect of my life must be part of God's plan. Clearly, this was a role I was meant to play even if I didn't quite know how. I was so terrified of offending a reader or not being present to receive whatever someone wanted to tell me that I was totally open. I started to receive thousands and thousands of DMs every day, and I spent hours trying to respond to as many as I could. I became almost agoraphobic in my fear of leaving my house. I never knew if it was safe to go out in public. Home was the only place I felt secure, felt free to be myself. Just Rach to my closest friends, just mom to my kids, just Ray to my husband. Home was the sacred place. And then my address found its way onto the internet. Or should I say that the internet found its way to my address. Either way, packages and letters and gifts started to arrive in droves. People began dropping things in our mailbox or showing up in my neighborhood while I was on a run to ask for advice. They started showing up at church on Sunday. They started finding me at the gym before the sun came up. I'll be honest, it was terrifying for me. Each and every time someone came up to talk about hard things, I spoke with them about it and did my best to offer advice or love on them the best that I could. When the letters came in the mail, I opened every single one because, and I'll be completely transparent, in the anxious state that I was living in, I felt like I had to play this role that others needed from me and I was terrified that someone would reach out and tell me they were suicidal something that is obviously incredibly triggering to me and that I wouldn't be there when they needed me because I hadn't opened their letter. I spent half a year in this unending cycle and in the midst of it all, the success of the book and the attention it garnered suddenly shifted. It was no longer about the people who liked my work. Now the book's success was fodder for people who didn't. First, it was blog posts, and then long diatribes in the press all pointing to the reasons I was a terrible influence for women or a bad Christian, more identities that other people gave me, and since I had dissolved all of my boundaries at that point, I believe those must be true for me as well. It's a strange phenomenon I've noticed about my work, and frankly, that of other female creators regardless of what they create. When people don't like a book written by a man, they say the book is bad. When they don't like something created by a woman, they say she is bad. I digress. It took me about nine months of soul-searching and prayer and, yes, more therapy, to begin to understand that just because I had been given this identity by people I care about that didn't mean that I had to live into who other people wanted or needed me to be. It took me nearly a year to understand how to do this work with you, my community, while also retaining the boundaries that allow me to be who I truly am, Mama and Ray and Rach. I am positive that as long as I live, I'll continue to navigate the identities that other people have for me, But the simple act of understanding that I'm not required to take on a label just because someone wants me to is truly the only way I'm able to live authentically as myself. Please know that I am grateful to all my readers and followers and fans in more ways than I can even describe. Admitting that some parts of that relationship haven't been healthy for me was not easy but it felt necessary because my gut says that you may have your own version of that experience even if it didn't play out in the same way. What identities are you carrying because you care so much about the people who gave them to you? What are the areas in your life where you've dissolved boundaries to be present for others at the loss of yourself? I know it is possible for me to do this work and to show up well for my community while being true to myself. I believe it's possible for you too. But first, you must decide which identity you will choose going forward. Identity is who you are. And the most important lesson I want you to take away from this chapter is that you are so much more than the trauma you are living in whatever that looks like. Your identity is just that, yours. You might have cancer, but you are more than a cancer patient. He might think of you as just a middle manager, but if your identity is a creative powerhouse, live into that. If you feel trapped by your identity because you know it's hurting you, break free and do the work to claim the truth that fits you now. No one gets to define you, but you. Things that helped me. Speak your truth every day. Have the courage to admit who you are, even if it's only to yourself at first. When I have claimed a new identity for myself, I have always worn something daily as a reminder of my truth. For instance, when I wanted so desperately to be a published author, I wore a little cheap bracelet on my wrist stamped with the word count of my manuscript. It was a reminder to myself that I had accomplished a major goal, writing all those words, and that I could accomplish another one, having those words bound in a book. Nobody else knew what my bracelet meant, but every day I looked down and saw it, It was a reminder of who I believed myself to be. Create boundaries for yourself. Recently, I asked my therapist how I should know where or when I needed a boundary. She told me that whenever someone in my life consistently did something that upset me, but I didn't comment on it because I thought I was being selfish to admit that it was hurting me, that was where I needed a boundary. This is sort of revolutionary for me because I have been made to believe that there is no greater negative attribute than being selfish. In the past, I have done things that slowly destroyed me rather than risking upsetting others. But I now understand that we are allowed to state what we need without shame and without holding the recrimination of others. Remember, you are who you want to be. You're in charge. This means that it is okay to say no to people who ask things of you that you do not feel equipped to give. If you need space to be you, or if the role you're being asked to play is uncomfortable, don't be afraid to draw those lines for your own good. Acknowledge that identities evolve. We can and do change. Sometimes because something life-shattering happens, and sometimes because we've outgrown the identity we started with. Evolution is uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean it's bad. Try viewing this as a positive movement forward in your life. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. Our show is produced by Chelsea Harfouch and edited by Andrew Weller with additional production support by Sterling Coates. Our executive producer is Cameron Berkman. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is a 3% Chance production.